Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Bullseyes, who I was talking about, David. And so Bullseye their lead detector. Ridiculous. is ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. it is. It is. But you spray that foam on it, and all of a sudden you can see any leak. Well, I get that. So I've got this BMW that has it leaked out about 30 grams overnight, mm-hmm. which is a significant leak. Yeah, especially for Especially sure. when the system's only holding 600 grams. So uh, we put some dye in it, but the dye is like hit or miss. We've got the sniffer. The sniffer was expensive. But Dude, they're junk. They don't pick up. No, then you're not using the correct sniffer. I've got you. Got to get the fancy sniffer. <laughs> it sucks. They suck. They they report incorrectly like a ton of the time. No, no, it, no, no. dude, you got to get a good sniffer. I, I had a guy who I, ended up with a little like had touched the refrigerant tank, and then ended up running it by his finger, and he's like, "Dude, it detects that on the end of my finger." <laughs> right? Like there. Yeah. No. It it just depends because if you've got. Um, I, I have the Master Cool Raptor. Okay, and that thing has been fantastic for me. I've had it for five years. It where the dye it won't it won't pick the dye doesn't come out correctly for you to identify it. That sniffer will pick it up, um, and it, it does a really good job, especially if you just really want to get a, a firm confirmation of it, or you want to make sure that that you don't have an, an additional issue. Uh, that that works really well. Uh, I had just picked up a Robinair LD7. Uh, it's, it's one of their fancier uh, 1234YF sniffers. It's really sensitive. It was picking up, you, you know, the residuals. The problem is it, it, it constantly calibrates. Yeah. So it's looking for an ever-increasing amount of refrigerant leaking out. And we, we couldn't find it. This, this system is tiny. The AC system on this yeah. BMW is it is tiny. Yeah. The condenser is like built into the oil cooler or is part of the oil cooler or is attached to the oil cooler. I don't even know. My tech's handling it. I'm just saying this thing is lo- losing a significant amount of refrigerant. We checked the whole thing with the sniffer. We just could not find it. And... I think it's probably in the evaporator, but whatever. Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had a uh, we had a vehicle in the shop that well, it was a GM product, and and you know any of the YF GMs, especially in like the Tahoe Suburban, whatever, um, 
is a condenser, right? Right away. There's there's class action lawsuits. There's all this information about how they fail, they crack, they leak. And we definitely had a leak in the condenser itself, right? No doubt. Yeah. But then we changed yeah. it and we had a leak somewhere else. And we, oh, when no. we do a leak evaluation, what we do is we'll take a picture of things like, you know, because it's got dye in it anyway. And so we take yeah. a picture of things like evaporator drains, all of that stuff and, and document with the dye, like, hey, we don't have dye anywhere else. This is the only place we have dye. And so we put everything back together, recharge the system, run it. Definitely has a leak. Tried nitrogen, tried everything we could, could not find a leak anywhere, right? And so with nitrogen, if you can't find the leak, it's a pretty freaking small leak, right? Mm -hmm. And so we go around the system, check things out. And with the nitrogen in it, we let it sit overnight with nitrogen at a high pressure. And we come back and there is a dye trace down the uh, rear evaporator drain that was not there the day before. (laughs) And so we take everything apart. And Terry's like, dude, he's like, I cannot find dye on this. I'm, I'm telling you, I can't find dye anywhere. I don't know where it could be leaking from because there's no dye on the condenser core. It turns out it was actually the glue that glued the two lines into the valve in the rear. And it was just, I mean, dude, it was just the tiniest leak you've ever seen in your entire life, right? It was itty bitty. And so it was just enough that refrigerant didn't leak out. But the, you know, because when it's under a lower pressure, right, it's cold out at night, it's lower pressure, it's not constantly exerting that force on it. But then all of a sudden you put, you put a higher pressure of nitrogen on it that, that sustains it for a period of time. If it's leaking, Mm -hmm. it's more apt to push dye out than it would be at the lower pressure. Just, just because you're ramping up, the right? Pressure. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Kieran, what's up, buddy? What's up? I, I'm doing? fascinated by uh, all this, all this <laughs> talk about refrigerant that you guys are going. I know, on. right? Everybody, like, we're going to get shamed on the internet. Everybody's going to be like, "These fools have no clue what they're talking about." Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing everything wrong. So yeah, don't don't listen. But it sounds impressive. Like these guys know what they. Yeah. <laughs> sound like they they know what they're doing we're just hoping it, that someone will call us and give us a silver bullet on how to fix these cars <laughs> that's what it's all about. <laughs> it's the only reason we started yeah. the podcast I, you know what they're gonna tell us is you, oh you got to get that ats bullseye for three thousand dollars right with the phone and then you understand why the, the majority of shops have four percent net profit at the end of the year <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, Kieran, how did you get wrapped up in the automotive world? Weren't you doing something like completely different a while back? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, we haven't started yet, right? I'm just. Oh, of course we've started. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, we started seven minutes oh, ago. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't realize. And introduce yourself because we don't do intros no, anymore. No, you're good, man. Yeah. My name is Kieran O'Brien. I'm, I'm 23 years old. I'm uh, in the kind of like the technology and, and marketing space. Hold and, on. You're what? I'm sorry. That does not compute. Let's start over. <laughs> sure. Uh, t- I'm, I'm 23 years old. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been kind of in and around the auto repair industry my, my whole adult life. Um, and yeah, I, I guess. Tant- Dear, I call myself an entrepreneur. David just, just sent me a text message. Says he quit. <laughs> <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> so you started, you started two companies. You're a co-founder of two companies. Yeah. That we're both acquired? Yeah. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now. 
and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop, and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Um, my So my first business... When? You were like, first one when you were 12, second <laughs> one when you were 17? Like, explain this to yeah, me. So, I mean, to answer your question about how I got into auto repair, so my... My first that was Lucas's question. We don't want to mess with sure. that. Sure. Yeah. My yeah, my <laughs> my first Sorry, my first business uh, I started when I was 17. It was it was actually like it was a marketing company for for auto repair and my first job in high school, uh, I interned after school and on the weekends at a repair shop um, just like in my local town where I grew up. And so I kind of I was like 16 at the time, I think. And so I've kind of been like in and around auto repair again, since I was, since I was a kid basically, and I'm right. um, kind of always loved cars. And, um, yeah, my first business, I did marketing for auto repair shops. So like managing their social media and doing like Google pay-per-click and stuff like that. So and, how, uh, how did you get started in that? Do, was it that the shop yeah. owner said like, Hey, you've got a knack for this. Do you just want to do this for us? Or did you say, Hey, I see an opportunity and I'm just going to take it and run with it. I mean, like, how did you get that vibe to start that? Yeah. It's, it's actually a hilarious story. So when I, w- I was like 16, I was like working at the shop and, uh, originally it was just for like a, it was like a summer internship that was like mm-hmm. part of my program at, in high school. So I went there and I would like, I'd like work at the front desk or like I'd go back into the shop and help out with like an oil change or you know, stuff that stuff that I couldn't get in trouble for messing up. And, yeah. um, and then the, the shop owner's wife actually one day was like, Hey, like, could you manage our social media? And like, could you take a look at these, these ads that we're running on Google? And I didn't know anything about advertising or marketing or any of that stuff, but I just started looking up on YouTube. I'm like, how do I run Google ads? How do I you know, do like a proper social media strategy? And I started researching it. I'm like, Oh, this is easy enough. And keep in mind, I'm still not getting paid. Like this is like an unpaid, like summer internship in high school. And, uh, and then one day I remember I was talking to the shop owner's wife and I was like, Hey, like, did you guys have someone doing this marketing stuff before me? Like, you know, and how how did that work? They're like, Oh yeah. She's like, yeah, we were paying them like a thousand dollars a month and like 16, 17 year old Kira. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like if I was making a thousand dollars a month, I'd be rich. (laughs) I'd I'd be rich. Like, (laughs) so, um, anyway, eventually they started paying me. 
And then okay. uh, they referred me to a couple friends who owned shops in the area and I started working with them and charging them like you know, 500 bucks a month to run their social media and handle their Google ads. And I was just learning as I went. It was like going to YouTube university and just like learning this stuff. And so that was kind of my, my first business. And of course it evolved from there and we ended up working with like over 200 automotive shops uh, with that Holy business. Holy cow. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> You're skipping steps here. <laughs> you went from local, uh, going to local shops yeah. and saying, Hey, I'm doing the social media for XYZ auto repair. And they're like, yeah, I see them all over the social media. You said, I can do it for you as well. Pay me 500 bucks yeah. and I can take care of yeah. it. How are you, how did you scale that up? you just hiring people in you're like hey you're 21 and don't know anything go do some tiktok dances in front of the <laughs> shop and they were like sure for for free or were you using software did you like how, how did that work yeah yeah i was using using some software using like hootsuite and stuff back in the day and um it was kind of interesting like i started working with sh with shops and then i started working with parts distributors. So I started working with a couple like wheel and tire companies that I yeah. ended and, mm -hmm. and like uh, companies that did like body kits. And then uh, from there, like I would run their Google ad campaigns, you know, nationwide, even sometimes into other countries. And then their distribution networks were shops. So like the, I worked with a couple companies that made body kits and all of their, um, all of their re retailers, their distributors were, were auto body and collision shops. And then I'd work with, you know, I worked with a couple of wheel companies and all of their distributors were tire shops. And so I kind of like started an auto repair, wow. went to like yeah. more like e-commerce dis distribution. And then those distributors brought me full circle back to working with brick and mortar shops because they would just refer me business to like their distribution network, basically. That's insane. That is nuts. So you build this thing up and then... A billion dollar company decided to come in and buy you out. They're like, "Hey, we have lots of money. We want to buy out your network." Yeah. So that that was my, that was actually my my next business. So I started the the first the marketing company I started when I was seventeen. Kind of ran that until I was like twenty twenty one. Um, and then uh -huh. that that kind of uh, that kind of just ran in the background for a long time. And I had uh, my business partner Caden uh, kind of just kept that running. My second business was the one that I sold, uh, and that was a software company. Kind of completely unrelated to automotive. It was a data analytics platform, um, in, uh, in like this the kind of the social media space. And yeah, a, like a billion dollar company came in and, and bought us 18 months into running that business. And, um, that kind of was, was my first foray what into what software. What possessed you? Oh, hold on, hold on. You keep skipping stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> you got bored, I imagine, right? You got bored with the, with the, the social media thing and you're like, okay, that, this is running. And what? You met some rando who knew how to code and you're like, hey, let's do a, a data analytics platform for, who exactly. yeah so so the inch it, it, the interesting thing is it kind of all comes back to to automotive and so basically you know i mentioned i was working with some of those like larger parts distributors um mm -hmm. they would in addition to doing like their paid marketing i would also help them find influencers so i'd help them find youtubers like chris fix or um you know yeah. Hoovy's garage or like one of those guys I would have mm -hmm. these YouTubers and these like TikTok and Instagram uh, people in the automotive industry. They would promote my my clients, and I would kind of handle the the relationship between my client and this influencer. 
And basically, mm-hmm. there was the, the problem that I noticed was there was a, a really hard time getting the the analytics to understand like, all right, where is their audience geographically? How old is their audience? You know, yeah, what for in, sure, etc. So basically, through my marketing agency, I noticed that there needed to be more transparency for data and analytics in kind of the influencer marketing space, and so. Started kind of tinkering around with it. I called. A- Hold on, but what the what you were trying to do was to more accurately match up the influencer with the exactly. brand. Exactly. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Basically, the the influencer would sign up for our platform. They'd have all of their analytics across all different platforms. So like even for you guys, for sure. example, like you could connect your podcast analytics, your Instagram analytics, your YouTube analytics, and all of that would be in this this one pager that you could send off to a brand that's looking to sponsor. Changing the industry podcast, yeah. for example. So makes sense. That's sure. what the platform did. And then this big influencer marketing company, like this big billion dollar company up in Canada approached us um, about 18 months after we launched and, and wanted to buy us out. And that was kind of the, that's the, con- that's a very concise version. <laughs> so I, I, I just think I need to point out that I feel very bad about myself now. <laughs> I feel like I didn't work hard enough and I didn't put enough effort in. I, I think hold on, Lucas. We've we've already had this hashed out. We've decided very early on that we are unbelievably lazy, and we just find the the easiest path, the the path of least resistance to to get where to I guess where we are right now in, in the deep state of depression. Now, <laughs> so how do you detach yourself from that? I, I guess that's that's what I'm curious about because you. The social media thing, I guess you kind of fell into. So that kind of makes sense. Maybe like I'm not passionate about growing brands or helping these individual small businesses out. It's like, it's whatever, right? It's just a, a, a means to an end. And then is the date, was the data analytics, a, uh, analytics thing a means to an end as well? It's just one more thing to do that you, when somebody approached you with a giant pile of money and you're like, yeah, I'll take the giant pile of money. Like I'm not married to it. It's whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think so. The marketing agency was, was a learning experience if, if nothing else. Like it, it was I, like mm-hmm. understanding how to run a business, how to hire employees, how to, um, how to delegate things like that. That's kind of what I feel like that one taught me. The reason that I moved to software from there is just because I always knew that um, I always knew that I wanted to get into software. I was always fascinated by by software and how software can solve problems for people. And I, I, I always wanted to do it. I just didn't know how. And so running the marketing agency gave me kind of like the business experience. And then also like the developers that like, I'm not, I'm not a software developer by trade. I ca- had to kind of learn it. And so the software developers that I ended up working with for my software company, I met kind of through people that I met running my marketing agency. So it kind of just, it was just like kind of like a natural progression. And then, yeah, to your point, when, uh, when that acquisition offer came across the table, you know, I was, it, it was definitely like, we're very conflicted about it. We're like, you know, we're like, do we, do we sell this thing or do we keep going? Um, but at the end of the day, it was just, it was an offer we couldn't refuse. And, um, I also was kind of thinking about the next, the next software that I wanted to start. I'd kind of identified something you know, in auto repair to kind of bring it back full circle again. And, um, I was just, I was excited about the prospect of being able to take what I had learned running that software company and apply it back to kind of like my first love, which is the automotive industry. So what, what do you attribute that success to? Right. Because, you know, it started with the one shop 
and then it went to another shop, and then it went to another shop, and then it went to a national brand, and then it's like, all right, I'm going to take this next thing, and you put the same amount of of effort into that. Was it just your drive to accomplish more? Was it your your willingness to to sacrifice and push forward? I mean, what was it that made those two endeavors so freaking successful? I mean, what was it? Uh, I <laughs> that's a loaded question, Lucas. Um, I don't know. I I think that so I didn't go to college. Um, okay, and both my parents did, and so when I decided, I took like a like a gap year after high school yeah. to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. But I made a deal with my parents. I was like, I really want to, I really want to pursue this business because at the time I was I was doing marketing for a handful of repair shops like in my local area on the East Coast, yeah. and I was like. Like I'm making like I'm making a little bit of money. Like I think there's something here. Like let me just see if I if I just focus on this for a year. Let me see what I can do. And um, ultimately, it it ended up working. And you know, by the end of that year, I just told my parents, I'm like, hey, like I'm not I'm not going to go to college. Like I found what I love, and I'm just going to do this. And so, I guess to answer your question, is kind of like I I didn't really have another option. Like I didn't have right. a degree to fall back on. I didn't have I didn't have like a a safety net. I just kind of had to like bet on myself and make it and make it happen. I think a lot of business owners can probably relate to that. Of course. And and I definitely can, right? Like through through a couple series of, of events, right? But in the same respect. Some of us are not designed for school. Like some of us just can't sit in class. Right. Like I would it, and I, I would bang my head up against a wall if I had to sit through a class. Like I can't do it now. You try to send me to training classes. I'm good for maybe seven minutes and then I gotta go. Like I gotta move. This is going too slow. YouTube, put it on YouTube. I'll listen to it while I'm sleeping. It'll be fine. I can't do it. But uh, uh, Lucas's question, um, back to Lucas's question. (laughs) You're still, you're still unbelievably young. And that mindset, that mindset, I, I remember having that mindset at 23. But for me, that meant I'm going to have two jobs. Yeah. I mean. And try to grab a degree here. I was going to school and I had two jobs. I had full time and then I had a part time. And then I would take two hours of classes or online classes because they were just going online at the time. And and I would sleep for about four hours in the middle of the day there. That Because I didn't have anything else going on. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a wife. I had a girlfriend that was living with me. That was about it. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've taken that same drive and and work ethic and said, I'm going to scale this to be bought out, to, to turn it into a company that gets bought out by a billion-dollar corporation. Like, I, I don't I, – did we just – were we born in the wrong time? Lucas? Well, I, I mean, that that's was what it? I was getting ready to say is, is the social media revolution – lended itself to this and and I think it taught you very specific lessons about what success looks like and and a, a different concept of success than has been present in the past right a different method to achieve it um and you know David to your point well hold on the tools are available to everybody though I, not I, everybody is what he's done he's 23 not every 23 most 23 year olds right now are they're on their fourth gap year and they're still deciding like i don't know what i'm gonna do with my life or they're just finishing school and they're like okay i guess i gotta pay on this hundred and fifty thousand dollars student loan debt and we, hey what'd you get your degree in dance theory 
It's like, what? Why did you get a dance theory degree? <laughs> well, I had to go to college because my parents told me yes. I had to go to college. So you tell them no. Like, go some, go do something else. What? I, I, I don't understand. I, None of this makes sense. I'm going to flip my table. This is, <laughs> None of this makes this sense. This is like... I quit. I quit. <laughs> this, is literally, this is literally my favorite topic. To talk, I could talk about this all day, but I, like the university system in America is broken. And we talk about things in our industry. Like it affects us directly. Like we talk about the technician yeah. shortage. It's because this narrative is perpetuated in society right now of like, you, this, is the, this is the path. You graduate high school, you go get a four-year degree in something, even, even if you might not be passionate about it, and then you go find a, a desk job somewhere. It's like, well, if we flip that on its head and we started to promote trade schools and technical institutions instead and get people into, into these, these proper industries like, like auto repair, just as an example, then maybe we wouldn't have as bad of a technician shortage. And so you I know, think it, it all kind of plays into each other. Th- there's a, there's a video and it's called, um, it was from a Ted talk and it's called changing, uh, education paradigms. And, and one of the things that the speaker talks about is that our educational system was built in a time. In other words, this is really the first public education system ever built, right? The one we have in the world today is the first one we've ever had. Um, it was built during the Industrial Revolution, right? In a time where we needed factories and we were we were seeing technology advance at rates we had never seen before. And it, it was also built um, during the Enlightenment and it was built during a time when when we had a different economy. It was a different concept of an economy, right? And so he brings up the fact that that they've tried to reimagine education so many times, and they keep saying, "Well, we need to we need to raise standards." And he's like, "Well, duh," because I mean, why would you lower them? That doesn't make any sense. And he says, "The problem is, is that we're trying to build an education system for an economy of the twenty first and twenty second century, but we don't even know what it's going to look like six weeks from now, eight weeks from now. We don't know." Right. It's going to change. Mm-hmm. But he brings up this really cool thing. And he said that the education today is built on an assembly line. And the most important thing about any one student is simply they're born on date. Right. Their data manufacturer is the key thing. And it doesn't matter if one's better at one topic at, at a certain time in the day or at a certain age. We're not paying attention to what that student is or what they know, or their natural abilities, and we're not encompassing or harnessing that energy that they have, right? What we're doing instead is we're trying to educate them on an assembly line. And so we move them across this assembly line, and they say, you have to learn this at this time, at this space, during this time of day. And and he points out that we live- And in this fashion. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and he points out that we're doing this in the most- uh, intriguing time ever, right? We have cell phones, we have YouTube, we have social media, we have all of these things and we want them to sit in a room with some really, really boring stuff, right? And we expect them to listen. Yeah. And so I, I think at the very core of it, I think the educational system is broken, not just in America, worldwide, right? In a lot of ways, because we've, we've never reimagined how do we educate people. And so he brings up this story and he's talking about a paperclip, Right. And he, he says that that he talks about a type of creativity that if you ask somebody how many things can you do with a paperclip, and he said, you know, a genius would come up with 50 to 100, and someone that is not a genius in creativity is going to come up with two to three, right? And he said, you know, they do this by saying, well, can it be uh, 200 foot tall and made of foam rubber, 
right? It's still a paperclip, but it's not a paperclip the way that we see it. And he said that they gave this test to a, a group of people and they came out as geniuses. And he said the thing was is they were kindergartners, right? And he said they tested them every single year and their creativity levels went down and down yep. and down and down. We taught the creativity out of them. And so he was he was speaking to the arts. He was speaking to certain types of creativity. But I wonder if, you know, like in your case, right, like your creativity was almost reignited in one sense of, of the word when you started this marketing business, right? You were thinking outside the box. You were thinking about ways to capture people's attention. You were thinking about all the cool things that could be done with social media and the marketing on social media. Right. And that's mm -hmm. what, in my opinion, made that business successful. And then you said, oh, if I can be this with this, what if I took this and did this over here? Right. It was the ability to be creative. Do you think that that plays into it? Do you think that plays into the success of those who are entering our workforce today? Do you think killing creativity is affecting them? Absolutely. 100% without a doubt. And I think that this again, this kind of narrative is like this is the path you have to follow. You just you go to university and you pick a major and you figure it out. Like that, that's what stifles creativity because you end up learning about things and being immersed in things that that don't pique your creativity, that that don't that don't mentally stimulate you. And I think the U.S. is the worst offender. Um, I, agree. I agree. I agree. I agree that it's broken worldwide. But if you look at like in in Europe, like in France or Germany, if you want to become an automotive technician, you go and get an apprenticeship. Right. If you want to become right. a, a baker or a plumber, like you name it, any sort of trade job, you go and you get an apprenticeship with somebody who's already doing it. And we just don't have that system or that mindset here in the U.S. I mean, it, it seems like years ago we used to. Right. It seems like it, at one point in time. And I, you know, I, I'm from a little country town. Right. And I remember growing up and when I was young, I remember the carpenters and the plumbers and those people had folks that they were employing, that they were teaching to do a trade, to, to perform a craft. And it seems like those people are less engaged now. And, and they're, so they're, they're coming out and they're saying, look, we would still do that. We would still be following that pathway, but it's a lot harder to follow that pathway now than it's ever been before. And I, David, why is that? Why do you think it's so hard to follow that pathway of, of apprenticeships and on-the-job training? Is it that we expect more? Is it that the people entering the, the trades expect $100,000 a year starting out? Like, what is it? I have no idea. I don't, I don't know what it is. The, <clears throat> I have two small children. Uh, my daughter's 10 and my son is 8. And I see so many possibilities for them that I wish I I had had when I was their age. So many possibilities that don't require a lot of money. And, you know, my kids are into right now, like Minecraft. And so it, every kid's in, uh, um, into Minecraft, I think, at their age. At some point somebody tells them they can't do minecraft any longer they're too old right yep. like, hey you can't you can't be playing with minecraft you got to go get a job well, where am i going to go get a job walmart's hiring go be a cashier 
or, you know, the, the go stock shelves or whatever, right? Like they get told that where uh, I'm talking to my wife and she's like, they spend too much time doing this. And they spent, I'm like, so they get really good at it. And if they really, really love it, I will set them up with a streaming setup. Yeah. Like I'll go buy the stuff and I'll yeah, let them go stream sure. and, and say goofy things into a mic and spend four or five hours a day doing that and build an audience and people will give them money and they could start building this brand around themselves. Like there's so many possibilities right now. I don't know why that isn't as, as widespread as, as widespread as it should be amongst the population. We get this kid that comes in. I'm sorry, I call him a kid. Karen, he's, he was a little younger than you. He's 19 years old. <laughs> You're not a kid. You're a grown ass fair. man. I'm not trying to disparage you. <laughs> uh, you've accomplished more than most than most men. You've accomplished uh, more than David and I put together. <laughs> no, no. Put together twice time, two times. I appreciate over. it, but I want. I'm not accepting that. <laughs> um. So we. Uh, this this 19 year old kid comes in and i i want to give him an opportunity cuz he's the son of the lady who cleans our office and stuff like that and she's she she she's awesome she's a hard worker she's building her little her business we're talking and she's like yeah i got my son who who's into cars okay great i, I can understand being 19 years old and you just want an opportunity i was there I know I was absolutely there. And I, I'm like, I want to be the person that gives this, this kid an opportunity. He gets handed this opportunity and you would think that he would put his head down and I'm going to make so much out of this. Get me on YouTube. Get me the training classes. I'm going to know more in the next nine months than I could if I decided to go through a four-year accredited diploma course thing at, at the local community college that has an automotive degree in nine months, hell in six months, I'm going to know more than, than those kids could learn in those four years. And plus another two years of on the job training after that, I'm going to pack that in in the next six to nine months because I've got so many resources available to me, resources that I'm willing to pay for as a shop owner on top of that. I've got the opportunity to actually tinker and work with my hands. So I'm going to get a little bit of both. Do you, did you think he, he picked up and ran Probably with it? Not. No, no, he did not. He decided he was going to do a year of community college, get a degree with a, a one year like certificate. And then he wanted to go work at a dealership and, and, and it was because I just wasn't paying him or, or enough or he just didn't see the opportunity. He wanted to be in a classroom setting. How, how does that get beaten out of the kid? I, you know, and, and here's the thing is, is I, man, I look at you and I think like the, this new venture you're on, right? Like when we talk about it, you don't get excited about the money it's going to make. You get excited about like this cool thing it's going to do. You get excited about the the achievement of accomplishing it. You get excited about, you know, having a certain number of clients. You get excited about it, people saying it's a good product, right? And so many don't. So many, th that's not what inspires them. It, it's that it, I need this number of dollars, right? 
it, it becomes so money focused. And and the people that I have for who, when, how? Well, I mean, I'm just saying the people that I've seen become money focused do exactly what you just described, David, because they become so focused on the dollar bill. And I look, I understand we have to survive. We have what bills do you have when you're 19? Let let me. What bills do you? He, I bet you, he doesn't have it. Like he understands unless you decided to go out and buy. You're 23 years old. You live in a one bedroom apartment, or the the apartment is the bedroom, yeah. and and you have a chair and a TV and a computer that, apparently with an SM7B. And then other than that, that's, that's, that's it. it. Like what but, else do you need? But hang on, it's it's not not everybody's like that. I think I think there are I think there are good apples, so to speak. Like you know may, maybe the maybe the guy that you're referring to, David, was j- just like didn't have it right. He didn't have what it takes. But like I'll give an example. So my little cousin, he's 17 years old. He currently okay. has an apprenticeship at a repair shop. And he's going to become an automotive technician, completely unrelated to me. I didn't even know this until he already had the job. So it, I don't, I don't believe that I that I influenced him to to go down that route. He's just always loved cars. And so if you take two people side by side, you take my little cousin who's seventeen, about to turn eighteen years old. He's not going to college, and he has an apprenticeship, getting paid what ten, twelve dollars an hour at this at this repair shop, right? So if he turns that into a full time position, he's making. 30, 40, maybe 50 grand a year if he gets some bonuses versus compare him to maybe one of his classmates that goes to school. They come out, they do, they get an entry level job at 60 grand a year, but they're a hundred thousand dollars in debt, right? So it's like, if we do want to look at it from the money point of view, it's like, I just don't think there's enough education. I don't think people like us are talking to this generation of kids where if they knew that they could make more money and and have you know, a better head start by going into the trades or by choosing a different uh, career path, they probably would. But I just think the education as a whole is just not there to to show them that that opportunity exists did, in the first place. Did you have a mentor? Did you have someone advise you on that, or was it you know? And and it almost sounds like your parents were very supportive of the concept of you doing your own thing. Right. Of you, you were reinventing the wheel. Right. Because they both went to school and they said, hey, you know what? If you don't want to go to school, fine. Let's see what happens. Right. I I think a lot of parents are not that supportive of that. Right. And working with the schools, one of the things we hear is that that guidance counselors are not supportive of putting students. They think that the bottom of the barrel students need to be put into the trade programs. Right. And then parents, when when a child talks about going into an automotive space or something like that, parents sometimes will cringe, right? They'll like, we've even heard that, that they're like, oh God, I don't know. Are you sure? You know what I mean? And so do you think that, that A, maybe having those people in your life that said, you know what? You can be whatever you want to be. Like, as long as you're happy, I don't care. If this is what you want to do, be happy. I'll never forget. We did an episode one time and it was an episode where David was talking about his daughter and dog grooming. And somebody got like super upset and said David was trying to force his daughter to be a dog groomer, right? And and I, I can't remember the exact details of that, but I, I thought it was going to turn into a- He said I was limiting her potential. Right. By just uh, or, uh, pushing her towards just, quote unquote, just dog grooming. It, it, my, my point is, is that it almost seems like there's- there are people who look at the skilled trades, who look at at service work as a whole, 
and look at it in a negative light. And maybe that's our fault, right? Maybe, maybe we all have a part in that. But I mean, how do we fix that? And, and do you think that mentor piece was a big part of you not feeling that way? Did you have a mentor that was pushing you? 100% that, that first, that first shop owner that I worked with. And then a few mentors after that, like a lot of these guys that, that kind of, that I looked up to early on in my career, a lot of them didn't go to college. A lot of them started their business out of necessity. And, you know, I think like, look at, look at what we're doing right now. This, this is where it starts. This is the change in the yeah. industry podcast, right? That's the name of this podcast. This, this is how it starts. Like we can't change this stuff overnight, but if we keep pushing this narrative and, and helping this, this new generation understand that there's a better opportunity out there, that there's, that there's something that's, that's more secure where you can potentially even make more money. Like we, we see, you know, automotive technicians making six figures a year. And it's like, right. you know, there, there's a, there's a huge problem with, uh, uh, unemployment and underemployment in the, like the more white collar industries. And, you know, that's, it's crazy. There's some statistic that like 60% of recent co- college graduates in the last four or five years have an, have an entry level job. that's completely unrelated to the degree that they got uh, yeah, when they went to, when they went to school. So I think this is where it starts, like on a grassroots level, doing podcasts like this and talking about it and the people listening, talking to their children and those children talking to their friends at school. Like th- this is the ripple effect that, that I think needs to happen um, as, as like a society and as, as a country. For so, sure. Definitely. What do, what do you tell the shop owner that has their kids going to college and saying, oh, I don't, I don't want this life for them? Yeah. I mean, I, I think – I, I think no matter what, and listen, I'm not a parent, so maybe I'm not the best to give this advice, but for me, like receiving it, like I think just the more supportive a parent can be of, of whatever their, their kid chooses to do, the, the better, right? It's like, yeah, becoming an automotive technician is not for everybody, but getting a liberal arts degree and then going and working in something completely unrelated to that is, is also probably not the best outcome. And so I think, you know, just understanding what your children are passionate about and supporting them along the way and, and allowing it to be something that's non-traditional um, that doesn't conform to, you know, this this like university society that, that we're all living in where like that's the only option and that's what you have to do. I don't even know where that's coming from because things are changing so quickly that there is nothing traditional. Like, well, so you go get a desk job where? exactly who's hiring desk jobs is your job going to be uh uh, what's the word i'm looking for obsolete because the ai in three years anyway Mm -hmm. so what exactly it is that you you think you're going to go do those entry-level jobs are going to be also made obsolete as well because you can get a computer to do it for free or (laughs) minimal cost instead of paying 20 people $50,000, a year until they can move up into middle management. All the middle management jobs are gone too because you don't have any employees to manage. So at what point do you go, hey, nothing is off the table now? Yeah, no, exactly. And and I think these are the types of like tailwinds that are going to help our industry thrive. You know, it's like if if people are starting to lose their jobs because of AI or they're starting to lose lose their jobs because of a recession, like guess what? Cars still break and they still need to be fixed. So yeah. at the end For of the sure. day. Yeah. I you know, and and I, I think back, have either of you watched the show Mad Men? I haven't. You know what I'm talking about? No. All right. it, really good show, right? Like, it, believe it or not, it, it's got a good storyline. It's a good show. 
But you think back in in the greatest time that this country ever had, right? And and so it kind of highlights a, a generation somewhere from, I would say, late 40s all the way through the 60s, right? And and we lived in a different country, right? And and maybe the way I liken this is is if we're looking at it like our business, if if you showed up tomorrow and you built a marketing company for the automotive repair business of 1980, guess what? It's not going to be very successful, right? We've seen generational changes. We've cha- seen changes in the workforce. And and we see this in auto shops all the time, man. They, they are stuck in 1980. They're stuck in 1990. They're stuck in 2000. And they're not taking steps forward to fix it. And so I, I think this comes back to the exact same thing. In this country, we've not taken the steps to prepare the next generation for the workforce that's going to be required to keep us moving. Yeah. And and I think we've overlooked the fact that it, it's, well, we want them to go to school. We want them to have a four-year degree. We want them to this, that, or the other. Well, the reality is, is that, that a lot of the demand is, A, in the service industry. B, the service industry has become so much more complex than it's ever been before, but we've treated it like it's not. And then all of a sudden, 20 years later, we pop up and say, gosh, we should do something about that. Well, guess <laughs> what? You do that with your business, you're out of business, right? Yep. You're irrelevant. And so I, I, I think Washington's got a lot to do with it, okay? And I'm not trying to set David off. I know I'm going to. I think Washington's got a lot to do with it. I think state and local governments have a lot to do with it because we've not pushed that narrative that says, hey, we need a different workforce, right? And and I, I maybe they're embarrassed, right? Maybe they're embarrassed because they say, well, we've been telling everybody for 20 years, you need a four-year degree to be successful, and now yeah. in, in that video I was telling you about, that's one of the things he said. He said, for, for 30 years, we've said you need a four-year degree, and this is a guarantee for success. Well, it's not a guarantee for success anymore. Yeah. Right? If, if anything, it's a liability to some of these organizations. Absolutely. Dude, it hasn't been since 2008. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and the, the reality is it, it is that way because it's big business. Like, have you mm-hmm. seen the, the size of the endowments of some of these universities? It's like, these are, cow, these, are cor- these are corporations, not educational institutions. And, and exactly. I think when you look at it through that lens, everything makes sense. Just follow the money and you'll see exactly why this narrative is perpetuated. So Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So what are you doing now? Because like, we've had, we've had a conversation about this new thing you're doing. Yeah. And that was the reason for the podcast is because, uh, A, I, I want to know where you came up with this crazy idea. Yeah. And B, like where everybody else is afraid of some of the new coming technology, you're like, hey, I want to be out in front of everybody else. So I'm just going to go ahead and take a leap of faith. And here we're going to do this thing. Yeah. What, what is the new thing? Right. What are you doing now? Yeah. So the the new company that I that I just launched as of this podcast coming out is uh, it's called Shop Genie. Uh, okay. It's an all-in-one CRM specifically for automotive repair shops. And we do everything from websites to free online scheduling to all the things that you're used to that you know and love with a CRM. And we also have a really cool kind of AI element that's almost like an AI, uh, an AI assistant, like after hours um, receptionist that can help with, um, you know, customer questions and, and appointment scheduling and things like that as well. So it's, uh, it's a bunch of different, really cool modern tools all in, in one software platform. Right. Well, and, and so like you saw, you'd been in the automotive space long enough and you had seen it from a lot of different angles, right? You saw it from working in a shop. You saw it from the marketing angle. You saw it from kind of that corporate level. And now you, you come back and you say, all right, I want to build a new tool. 
I, I want to create something that no one else has created before. And and to me, especially after this conversation, I see a lot of that creativity and what you've built here, right? Because it, it's very unique. It's not like anything else on the market. Where did the, the idea of this come from? What was the brainchild yeah. that got you here? Like, how did you, it's super unique. Yeah, thank you. I mean, so to bring it full circle, I can I can identify the exact moment when I when I kind of saw this. So when I was working in that repair shop back in or 2016 or what, whenever that was, right. I was I was running I was helping them run their marketing. So I was interacting with their website provider, with their CRM company they were using, their like all their like uh, radio, print, TV ads, mailers, all the stuff they were doing for marketing. They had like a loyalty program too, and then their shop yeah. management system. And I just remember interacting with all of these various different softwares and vendors. And I remember thinking, number one, holy crap, they are, there are so many vendors that are doing all yeah. this stuff. But then number two, I'm like, wow, like this software, whether it was the management system they were using back then or the CRM they were using, like this software looks like it was built in the 90s. Like it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's so hard to use. And me being like a 16-year-old kid back then, I was like, man, like this is this does not look like my iPhone. I, I, I don't know how to use this thing. Right. And um yeah, basically, I I thought to myself, I I remember looking at this. I was like, man, if I only knew how to build software, I would totally try to try to do this. And so, you know, fast forward four years later, I had a software company, sold it, kind of understood how these things work now, and that's when I I wanted to come back to the auto repair industry. And I I kind of did a little bit of research, and I was like, okay, wow. Um, there's been some amazing advancements on the shop management side. There's some incredible cloud-based shop management systems. But on the marketing CRM side of things, there had okay. been, you know, next to nothing. And so I wanted to kind of build the platform that I knew shop owners were looking for. You know, one of the things that stood out to me when when we were talking about this, right? Because we were in Charlotte. Weren't we in Charlotte together? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. AST. Yeah, at the at the ASTA event. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so one of the things that that stood out to me about this, and and one of my biggest issues especially in the shop that that I will look and I am hard on service advisors okay I'm just going to be completely honest I, I'm hiring one right now and and I hope that all of the applicants don't listen to this because like I have a very demanding list of things like I'm very hard to deal with in that aspect but the the reason I say it is because I always want them to be answering clients right? If somebody sends a text message, I don't want it to sit there unanswered. Man, that just bothers me to death, dude. It looks so unprofessional. If somebody sends a Google My Business message or whatever it is, I think it's pretty important that it gets answered because A, not only have you lost that client, but they will remember that you didn't even take enough time to respond to them, right? Yep. And so when we were talking about it, the first thing you said to me is, hey, I developed this really cool thing that when somebody messages a shop, we can make sure there's at least some communication going back and forth. It's not like a blank slate. Yeah. And and you're right. Like we've got so many aspects. We've got shop management system. We've got all of these other things going on. We've got maybe a DVI system and we've got text updates. Maybe we're texting through our shop telephones. Maybe we're texting through the shop management system. Maybe we're also texting through something else. It's easy to miss something, right? It's easy to overlook that one person you were supposed to respond to. So tell me a little bit about that because I thought that was a yeah. super cool addition to a CRM. Yeah, absolutely. So so communication, there's there's three buckets that Shopify falls into and we've basically broken it down into acquisition, so getting new customers, communication, okay. so communicating before, during and after the repair, and then retention, 
keeping those customers coming back. So acquisition, communication, retention. Those are the three things that, that Shop Genie does in various different ways. So communication right. is kind of what you're talking about. So imagine if your text messages, your GMB chats, your phone calls, like imagine if all of that was just in one centralized inbox where you could just see all of your communication that's happening at your shop. That's what we're building for for that. And then of course, you know, what happens is whether it's after hours, weekend, holiday, or your service advisors are just slammed with customers that are physically at the shop that need that need assistance, um, stuff goes unanswered, stuff gets missed. And so we're, we're building a, a platform that can basically handle those responses and take a little bit of the weight off of the service advisor's shoulders. Because, you know, w- as much as I use the term CRM, we're not really a CRM. We call ourselves a customer experience platform because we want to make incredible customer experiences for these shops. And one of the ways that you build an incredible customer experience is human to human interaction. It will never be replaced by technology. And so that might, that might sound counterintuitive, but the way that I explain it is like the way to make an incredible customer experience at your shop is to keep your service advisors focused on that face to face human interaction that they're having with the customers that are physically there at the shop. And so that means if you can keep them out from behind a computer or behind a screen, for a longer period of time, then you can enhance that customer experience because they're not stuck there in, in the office behind a screen the whole day. And they can they can trust that their CRM is going to handle that stuff and that they can be out doing things that are going to make an impact on the customers that are, that are there shaking hands, making sure the customer understands what's being done to their vehicle, et cetera. That, that's super cool, dude. And, and so I guess my next question is this is, you know, you were really successful in the marketing piece that you did for repair shops, right? Like you were very successful with that because it took off and you you grew it into an actual business and it grew into a good size business, right? What is it that you're taking away from that experience that you're seeing shops missing when it comes to their marketing, right? Because for dude, for you to be able to go, okay, I'm going to start with this shop that I worked for. Okay, now I'm going to go over here and talk to this shop. And now I'm going to go talk to this shop. And I'm going to talk to this shop. That, Of course, it takes drive. But you had to be doing something right. There had to be new clients coming in the door because they wouldn't keep paying you if if there wasn't, right? Like it would be stupid. And so if if that's the case, you had to see something that shops were missing that you could bring to the table. Now, I get at that time, there were a lot of older shop owners. I'm not saying they can't do social media, but I'm saying that it was more difficult for them to do the social media. And so I guess my question for you is what was it that you saw during that period and running that other business that you say, okay, I absolutely must bring this to repair shops when I, when I incorporate shop genie, right? Like what is it that they have to have? Two words, online scheduling. And so I'll break that down when we were running the marketing agency what what you need in, in your marketing is a call to action, right? And so right. a call to action typically in marketing, historically, if you go look at nine out of 10 auto repair shop websites, they have these really, really long forms. And mm-hmm. so when we were running a marketing agency, it was the bane of our existence because these forms are really long and the bounce rate would always be really, really, really bad because the forms had like 10 different fields you had to fill out. And it was, yeah. a, it was an appointment request rather than a real-time appointment on the calendar. And so as a marketing company, we're like, man, we're spending all this money on ads for these shops and the conversion rate could be way higher if it was number one, a real appointment booked on the calendar. And number two, if the form fields were, if there was way less fields that the customer had to fill out, just reduce friction. And so, yeah, one of the things that, that we've built and to go back to your point 
of you know this generational shift that's happening in our industry, there was a study done that's uh, recently that 61% of Gen Z prefers right. booking an appointment online to uh, a phone call, right? And we see this trend in restaurants, massage parlors, you know, home services, whatever it is, you can book appointments online. You, you know, you can have things just delivered to your door. You can schedule your next massage. You can for book, sure. a, book a reservation at a restaurant. And that has not existed in automotive. The reason it hasn't existed in automotive is because our workflow is so complex and there's so many different variables like the type of service, um, you know, inspections, waiter, waiters and drop-offs and that whole uh, dichotomy. So, We've built basically the the first real-time online scheduling tool that integrates with your management system. We know your bay and technician availability. You can customize your services. You can customize your waiter drop-off settings. Um, and we've actually made it completely 100% free. So you don't have to buy our CRM to use it. We'll install it on your website That's for free. Cool. takes 15 minutes. Um, and it's one of the easiest ways to provide your customers with a better customer experience and enhance the effectiveness of your marketing because you're getting rid of those really clunky web forms. Well, and, and you're making it easy to do business with you, right? Yes. And and man, I'm not gonna lie. I I was super afraid of the concept. Now my mine is mine is complex, right? My online scheduler. Yeah. And and for me, there's a reason for that, right? Is because we wanted them to answer questions and we didn't exactly want it to be easy peasy. We wanted them to put some work in. We wanted to be able to help qualify that client, make sure we're a good fit for them. And so we did make it a little complex, but I was super nervous about bringing an online scheduler on, right? And I did that five or six years ago, right? And it is an actual appointment when they schedule online. And dude, everybody told me, oh, you can't do it. There's no way you can do that. You're going to cause all these problems for the business. It's not fair to your technicians. It's not this. It's not that. Dude, it was one of the best decisions we ever made. It has worked so well for our shop because, you know, and and look, I, I'm not Gen Z, right? And I think about the fact that when I want a service, I want to be able to look up on my phone and say, okay, I could probably make this work this day. I can make it work this day. I can't fit it in that day. I want the ability to see that flexibility. And I want to be able, even if I'm going to pick up the phone and call them to make the appointment and ask some questions, right? Look at ZocDoc. Look at all of these other apps where like even your doctor, you can get online and book your own appointment there. Why is it? Because we have very complex lives. And and the other thing is, is I think there's some anxiety about calling and talking to people and them asking questions you don't know the answer to. Yeah, and And absolutely. you don't know what kind of experience you're going to get. So it's a lot easier just to know, like, I'm going to show up at this place at this time and here's what I've asked for, right? We'll sort the rest out when I get there, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and that's the reality of it too. It's like, you know, all you need to do to acquire a customer is get them to show up at your shop with their vehicle and your service yeah. advisors, hopefully if they're, if, if they're trained properly, will do the rest. Right. And so yeah. all, all you have to do really is lower the friction at the point in which that, that, um, you know, that interaction happens. So if For there's sure. a really ugly web form and the guy down the street, your competitor has an online scheduling tool that's really easy to use, they might win that customer that's never been to your shop before, um, you know, For sure. you know, 25 years old and, and just wants the familiarity of, of, of ZocDoc, right? And so yeah, it's, for it's, sure. also f it's funny you use the doctor analogy because, you know, I've been working with shop owners for years and shop owners, you know, one of their objections to online scheduling has always been, well, 
you know, we can't, we can't allow people to book because we don't know what's wrong with the vehicle. And they oftentimes compare themselves to like a doctor. They're like, right. Like right. our inspections, our diagnostic is the same way that you go to a doctor for a checkup to find out what's wrong with you. You can't prescribe something over the phone. Right. But ironically, doctor's offices have figured this out. They figured out the online scheduling thing. And so the, really the barrier is just getting the customer to show up at the shop physically and you can take care of the rest from there. Absolutely, dude. 100%. Now, look, you're not going to convince me this is where you stop. Like what's in the next 20 years for you, right? Because there's no way I'm buying. This is like the last, the last uh, entrepreneurial effort. What are you going to do in three years? From <laughs> you sell this thing off to- uh, um, I mean, right now we're just, we're super like kind of tunnel vision, super focused on, on changing the industry. Like in, in our own way, right? And that's that's why I love I love this podcast, by the way, guys. Like I, I'm genuinely a fan. I listen to most of the episodes. But um, that's awesome, dude. Like, Thank we, you. We wanna we wanna change the industry. We wanna change the way that customers do business with auto repair shops and flip side, the way that auto repair shops do business with their customers. We wanna empower repair shop owners all over the country and eventually all over the world to provide world-class customer experiences, world-class digital and online experiences for their customers through our products. Um, And that's really all we're focused on right now. So That's fantastic, brother. How can folks get in touch with you if they want to see what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is shopgenie.io. So it's S-H-O-P-G-E-N-I-E. Io. Um, and yeah, you can book a demo for our CRM and then you can also go to shopgenie.io slash solutions and you can install your free online scheduling tool on your website in under 15 minutes right there. Again, it's like completely free. There's literally no catch. We just want as many shops as possible to, to have the, the power of online scheduling. So now there is an option for no waiters, right? Like if you're going to yes. get me to install this on my yes. website, I'm going to select something that says yep. no waiters allowed. Okay. Can so I get it in can, big flashing red letters <laughs> up top? <laughs> you can, do, so you can do, you can do waiter mode off completely. You can also limit waiters. You can limit the amount of waiters per day, the amount of waiters per hour. You can also put cutoff windows. So for the shops that do take waiters, you can, you can limit it like, oh, no waiters past 9 a.m. or 1030 or whatever it is. So there's a, a, a million ways to do it. It's, super flexible and super customizable. That's pretty cool. David, are you going to switch? <laughs> I want to check it out. It's free. Why wouldn't <laughs> yeah. I? Yeah. It's like, I need check something free for sure. Yeah. That's pretty cool, dude. Are you, Hey, are you going to integrate with, with shop management softwares? Is that yeah, in the we, future? We, we already do. He already we does. Already do. do your research, bro. We, <laughs> Come on. We integrate on. with shopware, tech metric, shop monkey, Mitchell one, and a few others. Very cool. Awesome, dude. Thank you so I much. I knew for the me. answer because I did my research. Uh, I, I was prepared for this podcast. I'm a hillbilly. I can't <laughs> read. You tell me that all the time. Yeah. I do not say that. Da- David uh, did his I research. Call you hillbilly. Lucas, you got to do some more pre podcast research, I think. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on it next time. I'll work I'm on just, it I'm next just kidding. Time. He, did, he doesn't do research. <laughs> you, but like, he walks David, in, sits down, let's do this, go. And then he's out. David's the workhorse. He he does all the all the hard stuff, right? Of course, absolutely, hundred percent. That that's it's worked out pretty well for me. <laughs> right? He's gritting his teeth as I, he's saying that. Yeah, you, you guys are you guys are fun, man. I, I we got to do this again sometime. This is this has been for a sure. blast. I love absolutely, it. dude. We'll do it again soon, man. Cool. All right, I appreciate. Thanks for it. having me, guys. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode.
Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.